0: On October 8, 2018, the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change released their special report on global warming of 1.5 degrees Celsius.
1: The report got picked up worldwide, and every paper had its own version of the story. We have 12 years to limit climate change catastrophe, warns UN. That headline was from The Guardian's
0: coverage. Today on Poll Quotes, we ask, how did Canadian
1: journalists cover the report? I'm Michal Stein. And I'm Lydia Abraha. This is Pull Quotes.
0: Okay, so the UN IPCC, that's the Intergovernmental Panel
1: on Climate Change, puts out a big report. What exactly did it say? Well, the whole report is 97 pages, so it said a lot. But what's important to understand is right now, scientists are saying that the Earth's temperature are on track to rise a lot in the coming years. At the Paris Climate Accord in 2016, scientists said that keeping that temperature rise to no more than 2 degrees Celsius would be essential to curbing irreversible damage to our ecosystem. Now what they're saying is that if we can keep that number to 1.5 degrees of warming, We will be in a better situation to avoid worse disasters like drought, floods, extreme heat, and poverty for hundreds of millions of people. The thing is, the IPCC found we only have until 2030 to make these changes before things get worse. Twelve
0: years. That's not a very long time. Someone in kindergarten now would only just be graduating high school. So three weeks out, after the initial report, what's being talked about? What does this mean in a Canadian context?
1: Luckily, we have a special guest joining us today who can help sort that out. Today we have Kyra Butterworth, our colleague and online senior editor at the ROJ, joining us to talk about her upcoming story for the ROJ website. Kyra spoke to climate scientists and to Ivan Semenyak, a science reporter at the Globe and Mail. But first, Ivan
0: Semenyak has been covering science and the environment for a long time,
2: I'm the Globe and Mail science reporter. So I'm a beat reporter here and I cover all aspects of science or science policy. I've been reporting on science in one way or another or working in science media for more than 20 years. Uh, I've been at the Globe doing this job for more than five years, almost six years now.
1: Kara interviewed Ivan for her story. We'll hear an excerpt from their conversation, and then I'll speak to Kyra herself about what she found in her reporting on the
3: coverage of the UN Climate Report. Um, so what did you think of the media coverage of the UN Climate Report? Was there enough of it? Was there not enough?
2: So it's difficult in a way because it's so enormous. Uh, I think it's fair to say you could at least make the case that it's the biggest science story of the century. Uh, you know, it has a huge impact on us. It's a it's a catastrophe in slow motion. Uh, it's I, I know it's I can't remember who called it that, but you know, it's, it's one of the challenges for journalists who sort of are dealing with things that are moving quickly, or you know, c- kind of trying to uh, provide. Uh, coverage of something that could be changing on a daily basis climate change is is a kind of a slow progression where there there are certainly uh, important developments, but um, you know it's a story that's now quite familiar, and then the question is uh, you know how to how to keep bringing fresh eyes to that story and how to keep saying things that are new um, and at the same time not lose the overarching message, which is that um you know, there's a major major planetary problem that is so far unresolved and uh, and is going to strain the capacity of human systems to find a solution so so it's really it's really trying to pull in something that is that enormous into the context of you know like daily news coverage um and and i think that's true for everyone who's who's in you know on that beat whether they're climate specific or or as I am, just, you know, kind of touching on climate as part of a larger science beat.
3: Do you think that, in general, journalists are doing enough coverage on climate change?
2: That's an interesting question, too. I mean, there are, many, there are hundreds and hundreds of journalists working in this area, and certainly there is an, uh, an abundance of good reporting in this area but there's also an overabundance of noise and, uh, and bad reporting or, or intentionally misdirected reporting. So, so that's an, it's an interesting challenge because it's not a case of um, reporting on an issue in the absence of no information. It's reporting on an issue in the, in, in the presence of misinformation. And the fact that there are groups that are actively trying to, um, you know, kind of discourage, uh, you know, action on climate change or sow misinformation, and there are also honest actors who, you know, for their f- through their own reasoning, do not see this as big a problem as some others, uh, even though they're they're not trying to, uh, you know, they're 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 not denying that it's there. So so even getting the language right, I think, for, for scientists trying to speak to policymakers is a challenge. And it's hard for journalists to figure out what to do because um, it's, it's, it's not as easy as saying, you know, we're about to crash into a wall. But, uh, you know, it's, it's about saying that um, the time is getting shorter and shorter where we can avert this problem. And in fact, there are some things that we can no longer avoid. Uh, so now it becomes a matter of we have diminishing possibilities of things that we can opt for that might be more desirable. You know, so there's a future, there are several future worlds in front of us. Uh, and uh, the choices of the worlds that we have are becoming fewer and less appealing as, as we carry on the path that we're on. So that's, that's a bit of a tricky concept for journalists to get across. So, so uh, you know, back to the question of whether there's enough reporting, it kind of depends on what kind of reporting. And also, we have an additional issue, which is the audience. Uh, you know, the research is also telling us that it's not a matter of being informed. Most people now are aware of a concept called climate change, at least most people in Western countries, and they have made a decision already about whether they buy into that concept based on political and cultural reasons, not based on science. So in other words, uh, if you're a science journalist and you think your skill set is explaining complicated ideas, you know, there's this tendency to say, if I just explain this well enough, people will get it, Um, and in fact, You know, you're you're already uh, you've already lost because in that scenario, people who have decided they don't buy in to the climate change idea uh, see you as propaganda rather than a a neutral reporter, and uh, they recognize that they would pay a social cost in their social circle or their political circle for taking your message on board. And so they just switch you off.
1: Today I have with me Kyra Butterworth. And Kyra's been all over the story of um, the IPCC report that basically told us we have 12 years to live. Am I right, Kyra?
3: Um, That's a bit overstating things. We'll still be alive. We just won't be enjoying it very much if we don't make change soon. Right. So Not to make light of the issue. But your story was all about scientists who were
1: on the IPCC report reacting to the media coverage that was done after the report came out. Could you talk about what you found um, after
3: talking to those authors from the report? Um, So for the most part, I found that like of the reporters, I t- or the scientists, sorry, that I talked to, um, most of them were pretty pleased with the coverage. And most of them, for the, well, for the most part, they were not surprised at the reaction, or in some cases, the lack of reaction to the findings. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Like,
1: I guess, um, what were they expecting? Were they expecting um, this to change the conversation of climate change?
3: I don't know if they were expecting it to change the conversation more. They were looking to mobilize the people. You have policymakers on one side of the political spectrum or the other who already have basically predecided what they're going to think about climate change. And so when a report like this comes out, it's really a matter of are they going to believe it or not?
1: So yeah, that brings me to my next question about um, this idea of false balance, which I know is something you and Ivan talked a lot about. I I also wrote an article um, in September about the BBC releasing their guide to cl- covering climate change, and that guide actually goes really deep into this idea of false balance and how like they want to stray away from it. So um, maybe you could like talk about like what false balance is and like what what Ivan
3: had to say about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so. False balance is the idea that we need to include, in the case of climate change coverage, that we would need to include a voice on the side of climate change is happening versus a climate change denier. And really, for the most part, aside from the climate change deniers, most people believe that climate change is happening on in some way or another. Um, so the idea of false balance is that in order to be a balance... To have a balanced report, we need to include a climate change denier in that conversation, which is not true because, I mean, if it's raining outside, if somebody says it's raining outside and another person says it isn't, like, you you have to, as a reporter, your job is not to quote both. Your job is to look outside and see if it's actually raining.
1: <laughs> that's, that's really interesting and a really great point to mm-hmm. make. Um, and... I guess, so after writing this article, like, what do you
3: have to say about how the media has covered the IPCC report? Um, so I, I don't think my perspective of that has changed much since I started. I, I can say that I was surprised with the, like, the, like I said, the scientists that I interviewed were relatively happy with the coverage. They didn't have very many complaints. Um... And I think going into this, I expected to find a lot more complaints. Um, But there were some things that were missed, definitely. Um, One of the scientists I interviewed, Harry Saunders, uh, looks at, I believe it was um, energy sustainability, um, was talking about um, how there's a whole chapter of the report. I think it's the last one that focuses on increasing energy production and elevating to be able to elevate people in the world that are in poverty because there are a lot of people in poverty and there are i think he said about 1.5 billion people who don't have access to energy um so we need to increase like clean energy production and that was something that was very looked over in the media coverage a lot of coverage just focused on the 1.5 degrees celsius which is important but it wasn't the entire basis of the report
1: so what did the scientists say when you asked them how worried they are about our future on this planet
3: for the most part they were you know worried because if you're paying attention to climate change then and the lack of action then you would have to be worried but um, they also said, and I think all four of them said this in some way or another, that you can't get hopeless. You have to keep going and keep trying to make change. And they can't, you know, get into a rut of hopelessness about climate change, even though it might be very easily to fall into that because... If you do, then, like, what's the point of what they're doing? What's the point of the work they're doing? What's the point of releasing a report like this and putting all that work in just for, you know, if there's no hope for the future? So for the most part, it's they have to remain hopeful because otherwise, why are they doing their job? But also it can be very frustrating sometimes to remain that way. That was beautiful.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Kyra, for joining us today. Thank
3: you for having me. This has been fun.
0: The time has come for our favorite segment, pull quotes. I had a hard time choosing one this week. Honestly, I don't even remember what a slow news week feels like at this point. All right, Lydia, start us off. What is your pull quote?
1: For my pull quote, I want to talk about Sonny Dillon's article published in Medium. Dillon was writing for the Globe and Mail since 2010 in Vancouver. He recently left his job this week as a result of what he called, quote, a continuing pattern, end quote, in the errors of diversity reporting. In his editorial, Dillon talked about covering the Vancouver city elections, where citizens elected an all-white council. An hour before his deadline, his boss told him to focus on the increase of women counselors instead of the lack of people of color. And for those who don't know, I am actually the community's editor at Ryerson's independent student paper, The Eye Opener. And as one of two Black members on staff, I have definitely ran into my fair share of tokenization, being the person everyone comes to to explain their wrongdoings. And I find I am often alone advocating for myself. Dylan's piece helped me feel less alone. reminded me that the path that a lot of people of color journalists are on are hard to navigate and it's not always fruitful. Here's a quote I highlighted and I wanted to share. To be a journalist of color can be to walk a tightrope. The world has gotten uglier in recent years. I wasn't exactly thrilled with how we were doing on race before that and for me it has become more difficult to let things slide. When a story involving people of color is assigned, With a colorblind lens and a false sense of objectivity, what do you do? When you pitch projects on race and multiple times see the boss prefer a race-related project pitch by a person who is white, regardless of your read of the room, what is your recourse? When you ultimately stop pitching stories on race to preserve your own sanity, what good are you doing the very non-white people whose perspectives you deem yourself to be in the newsroom to share?
0: Thank you for sharing that. That's a really important pull quote.
1: And uh, thank you for sharing your perspective on that issue. Thank you. I agree it's important. Um, Let's hear what you've got, Mikael. What's your pull quote?
0: Okay, so uh, in keeping with what seems to be a habit, um, I'm going to do a tweet for a pull quote. And actually, it's a tweet of a video. And you know what? It's not a particularly media-related story, but it's been a dark week, so I'm going for it anyway. So here is my pull quote. It's a tweet from uh, Sabrina Nanji. She says, PCMPP at Sam Oosterhoff just did an anti-carbon tax rendition of the Monster Mash in the house. Hashtag on Polly. And uh, yeah, he he sang a song about the carbon tax To the tune of the Monster Mash, because it was Halloween this week, and I guess the uh, provincial conservatives want to start having some fun, so good for you, provincial conservatives. They did the tax. They did the carbon tax. They did the tax. They wanted all of your cash. They did the tax.
2: We wouldn't have any stash. They did the tax.
0: They did the carbon tax.
1: Oh my gosh, so funny. So funny. Um, and it actually fits really well with what we're talking about um, today about climate change, and that this is what our government officials are doing you know, with this. In light of this information,
0: you know what? Uh, maybe this song will help them. I don't know. Find a way to do something. Maybe if we sang uh, all of the things that can start happening if we don't like take action on climate change. I'm, I'm going to start writing it. We'll we'll see where that goes. <laughs> That's all
1: we've got time for today. Thanks for listening.
0: Thanks to fellow RRJ editor Kyra Butterworth for joining us today. Thank you to Angela Glover and Lindsay Hanna for technical help. Our executive producer is Sonia Fata.
1: If you learned something today, please help us spread the word by sharing our show on social media and leaving us a rating on iTunes. You can find me on Twitter at Liddy Opera. And me at Michal Stein too. You can also visit
0: rrj.ca for new stories every week. We'll see you next week on Pull Quotes.